Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. I feel a little bit bad that I didn't give you an email heads up. I'll explain here in just a second. Uh, As you know, we've been going through the Bible for quite some time now, and uh, most of you remember we started last week in 1 Corinthians. Kind of a little bit of an intro. On Wednesdays, for those of you who uh, generally aren't there, what I'm I, don't, I haven't committed myself to this, but, but uh, what we typically do uh, is we are either in the Psalms or in the Gospels. That's just kind of where I found myself going for a while and kind of settled into that rhythm. And then once every four, five, six weeks, I will we'll do a healing service. I think healing was so important. Uh, clearly, you cannot read the Gospels and come away with any conclusion other than the fact that, that uh, Jesus' healing ministry was absolutely central to his ministry. Everywhere he went, he preached. He taught and he healed. And when he sent the disciples out to declare the kingdom of God, he told them, preach the gospel, raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons, freely receive, freely, freely give. And so we really, we're not doing the gospel message. If we're living uh, in a day where our mission is to live the gospel and preach the gospel, we can't do that without giving good, serious, regular attention to the doctrine of healing. And so what we'll do, like I said, every four, five, six weeks on a Wednesday night, I will preach a message on healing, highlighting certain aspects of the doctrine of healing, and then usually at the end of that message we'll have uh, a prayer line where we give you the opportunity to act on the things you've heard. If, there's a, if, your need, if, if you have a, a need in your body, a, f- a physical need, a healing that you need, uh, you can act in faith on the word that's just been preached. Now, Wednesday, we did something a little bit different. I did a healing message and uh, followed it with a confession rather than a healing line. And, uh, I, and I also mentioned that I would uh, send out a written copy of, of a version of that confession. I didn't have it written down. It's just a, a, it was just one. What I shared with you was what I typically say over myself every day. It's part of my daily confessions. And then... Um, couple things happened. One, we did, I thought that the, the recording uh, did not get the confession. Actually, the confession was recorded, it just didn't make it to the CD. Uh, but I did have several people asking me for that confession, so I said I would send it out, and every time I sat down to start to write it out, I would just kind of get something rolling over in my mind, and I very quickly, I mean by Thursday, I think, I was already convinced I was just going to re-preach that message today. And I'm, when I say I feel bad about not emailing you, maybe those of you who were here Wednesday would have thought, woohoo, Sunday off, I already heard it. But you didn't because I never preach it the same way twice. I don't write my messages out. Wednesday might have been better than today is going to be. But it's going to be essentially the same message, same scriptures, same point, a couple of the same stories, same principle. And I want you to hear this. I believe it, it, it touched a nerve. Uh, I don't know if there was anything I shared other than an illustration uh, that was early in the message uh, that I haven't shared in some manner before, but something about the way that the Lord led me to put it together really got a response. And so I just, I've never done this before. I have 
many times when there's been a response or just because I felt strongly that it was something that the church needed, I might get up on Sunday and say, hey, please go get Wednesday's message. You know, and it's kind of a, I never want to sound like I'm self-serving and say, man, I preached an awesome message and you're really missing something if you didn't get it. But if the Lord gave me something good and it really did impact people, I want it to impact more than the 40 or 50 that were here Wednesday. We really did, and that's the other thing, we really did have a thin crowd even for a Wednesday this past Wednesday. But I have never gotten up on a Sunday and just preached the same message. Not that I remember. I might refer to something I said on Wednesday, but I've never gotten up and preached the same message. So this is a first. Aren't you glad you're here for it? You can write it down on whatever day this is. Scott Millis preached the exact same message that he did on Wednesday. And you could say, thank God that the Lord loves us enough to lead him to do that. Or you can say, what a lazy pastor we have. He couldn't even write an original sermon for Sunday. But you, you will... Uh, well, you, know, you get out of something, whatever you put into it. You, if you decide to receive this, as I believe God has laid it on my heart, as something that God has directed, that gets me excited. It gets me excited because one of the responses I got from one of you is they've already began to see results that they had been praying for and desiring for a long time after they did this confession. And I believe that if God is, is directing me, and I am firmly convinced God's directing me to share this message again, I believe there are people in here who need to hear it, and as a result of hearing it, receiving it, and applying it, are also going to see results that you've been desiring to see for some time. And I'm going to give you scriptural grounds for expecting those results. So are you excited? Are you ready? I wanted to open with this, uh, which is where I opened or at least touched near the beginning on Wednesday night, which is this, it uh, doesn't really have anything to do with healing per se, but it all kind of has to do with the authority of the Word of God. And uh, it was a reference to this Aeromexico plane crash. Did anybody ever look that video up? Anybody uh, check that out? There was a crash, 103 people on board this uh, plane that crashed on takeoff, right? It was on takeoff. And all, all, everybody survived. There were injuries, there were burns, but everybody walked away from this crash or was carried alive away from this crash. And something happened. Uh, there was a video from somebody was taking, looked like cell phone video, inside the plane while this plane was going down the runway. Do we have that video? Can we go ahead and show that? I want you to listen closely to this. There's only a tiny little bit that I think you can even understand. that's a short version of the video that one's less than a minute long there's two minutes of that but it's really all just thumping screaming and uh darkness and and that picture out the window the only thing i could hear and i heard it very clearly was in jesus name in el nombre de jesus did everybody hear that uh and that was maybe a little maybe the sound quality wasn't really great on that you can look it up and listen to it though but i mean it's just all you can hear a baby crying and then you hear this and to me it's clearly not a voice of panic it's and, and what's important about that is when you practice the confession, when you practice training yourself to say certain things, what you're doing is filling yourself up. You know, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus tells us, James tells us, Paul tells us that our words have power. So we want these powerful words that come out of our mouths to be the right words. But if our hearts are full of the wrong thing, we might say something in church, we might say something teaching a class or in conversation, but in a moment like this, how many of you know there's good Christian people who if they'd been filming that, you might have heard the Lord's name taken in a different uh, context. Right? 
But if what we're training ourselves to do is actually respond in authority to situations. Now here's somebody who sounded like a believer in Jesus' name. It wasn't like, oh dear God, save us in Jesus' name. It was in Jesus' name. I, didn't, I don't know what else, if he was saying the rest of the prayer under his breath. But I shared with you a story that I'd heard. From, a, from an early, early in, in, early in my Christian experience, actually a Kenneth Copeland meeting. Uh, uh, one of the very first preachers I ever heard outside of my old Methodist church pulpit, not mine, but the church that I attended, was uh, we'd gone over, I think it was in Decatur somewhere, and he was telling a story about he and Gloria were in, they're on, on their way to a meeting, and the car in front of them hit something, lost control, and went up on both wheels and started to roll over. And, and, and he said, just as this happened, just by reflex, he said, Lord Jesus. And, and, it's, and then at, and at the same time, his wife said, Lord Jesus, help them. She got the words, help them. And that car just went right back on all fours. Now you could say, well, all I had to do with what the driver in there was doing. You never know why. All I'm saying is, what a great thing when your response to any emergency situation has to do with taking authority of it and speaking the Lord's name. Not that Jesus Christ is there to be used by us. It's simply there is authority in his name that he has given us and told us to walk and speak in that authority. And this really does come into play in our own lives when it comes to healing. All right? Now, to lay the groundwork for where we're going to go with this confession, I want to refer to you uh, there's, there's a number of scriptures we're going to look at today, and I want to get it all done. I want to have us out of here uh, in a half hour or less because, man, I made some killer macaroni salad. It's not killer. It's life-giving macaroni salad. This is really good, and I'm, and I'm hungry for it, and I want to get first in line so that I get some because I know now that I've mentioned it, this macaroni salad is going to go like crazy. Anyway, secret ingredient is pickle juice. Anyway... In the, now that I've wasted all that time, I tell you in the interest of time, I'm not really not going to go back and read the scriptures in Deuteronomy, but Deuteronomy is full of it. You go back and read Deuteronomy, and it's a sermon by Moses. Remember this? He's preparing the children of Israel, the ones who have 40, 40 years they've been wandering, waiting for that first generation to die off because of their disobedience. Now they're finally getting ready to cross the Jordan into the land of promise, and Moses is telling them, all right, here's what's going to happen. This land is great. This is a land that has been prepared for you. In fact, I've used your enemies to prepare it for you. They've planted the gardens. They've built the houses. They've cultivated the land. You're just going to move in because I'm giving it to you, and I'm going to drive out your enemies ahead of you. And it's going to be great as long as you obey my law. You live righteously. You honor me as the one who gave all this to you and you honor me by keeping my law, I will do this for you. And the things he made, and this is, again, I, I couldn't even, I could, I could point you to a chapter and a verse, but it's there again and again and again. It's not like, oh, I found this one isolated verse. It's the whole theme of Deuteronomy. If you'll do this, I will make sure that your enemies stay away from you. In fact, I'll use you to destroy your enemies. I will take all sickness from your midst and put none of the diseases that you knew in Egypt None of them on you. I will make sure that your barns are always full, your vats are overflowing with oil. I will even make sure your livestock don't get sick. You're going to have plenty of everything. You're going to be protected from your enemies. You're going to be healed and healthy. I, the Lord your God, am doing this for you. But if you don't, if you forget the Lord your God, if you start worshiping the idols of the people around you, and you, you, you fail to remember that I'm the one who gave all this to you, then guess what? All those things that I'm protecting you from are going to come rushing into that vacuum. 
and you are going to experience lack. That's it in a nutshell. So what, what's the promise? The promise is good. The promise is blessing. But what's the condition? Righteousness. Right? So then we read in the, you know, they start off well. Things are, things are going well, and they, and they remained uh, good up until the death of, about until the death of Joshua. And when Joshua, who was this strong, godly leader, died, the, the country began to slide into godlessness, and then it was, you know, they'd have to be bailed out. They bailed out, they bailed out by God, but God would bail them out by raising up a strong, another strong, godly leader, a Gideon, a Deborah, uh, some, a, a judge, one of these judges who would, uh, they call them judges, not because they sat on the bench, but because God used them to judge Israel's enemies. But whenever they would cry out to God, straighten out their lives, God would, okay, you're turning toward righteousness, I'm going to turn the blessings back toward you. But the pattern over the centuries was, of course, this downward spiral. They got further and further from God, and as a result, they got further and further from the blessing. The incentive was always there. Very, very interesting to me that God, when he revealed himself through the law, and when he revealed his commandments, he didn't just say, I'm telling you what to do. And they had seen enough. Remember, he gave the law to an Israel who had seen the smoke and fire on the mountain. They had seen the plagues. They had seen the Red Sea divide and then close in on their enemies. The cloud, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. They had seen all these things with their own eyes. So God could have just said, now, remember, I'm the God who did all this. Here's what you do. And if you ask why, the answer is, because I'm God and I said so. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. What he said was, if you'll do these things, I'm going to do this for you. The incentive was a blessing. And so I, I, I say all that to say, you know, some people say, we should never seek God's hand. We should never. True scriptural, uh, spiritual uh, maturity is simply obeying God because we love God, simply obeying God because he is God and because he said so. Well, if that's really what God wanted, you know, he knows what we're made of. And he makes all these promises, I believe it's because he expects us to believe him for the promises. He expects us to expect the promise. So here's all these good promises. There was enough incentive for them to keep the law, but they didn't. And if you really kind of put yourself in the story and you read and, and remember that these are real people and you try to picture it, and that's why I love reading the history of the Old Testament, all through the Judges, uh, Joshua Judges and the Kings and the Chronicles, it can really be frustrating You kind of want to pull your hair out and think, how can they be so stupid? How could these kings not have known better? They did. So why did they mess up? The New Testament answers that. The Old Testament does too, but it's spelled out most clearly. Where? In Romans, where we just finished. Paul explains this. The reason man has not honored God historically is because he is fundamentally, by nature, incapable of living a life that is pleasing to God. Why? Because his nature is sin and death. Where did that come from? It came from Adam, the first man, our first father who sinned, passed that nature down to us through the bloodline. Every one of us was born with that sin nature. And therefore, book of Romans spells out, Paul says the, the conclusion, the solution to this problem is not try harder, you guys. Be better, you guys. It's simply to recognize you as a sinful man, as a sinful woman, 
cannot be righteous enough for God. The cross is not about just Jesus taking your punishment. It's him dying your death so that he can offer you his life. Paul says the solution is not better behavior. It's a new birth. It's salvation. And that only comes as a gift from God. The righteous living is possible, but only through the power of the Spirit. You let God live that life through you, but he's not going to inhabit a sinful temple. That's got to be cleansed. It's got to be reborn. A new life is the key because the old life, the dead life, as it were, is the problem. So if we have that new life, if we've been made righteous by the finished work of Jesus Christ, that puts us in a position that is described in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1, 19 says this, For the Son, uh, Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. This is the big promise. All the promises of God, what's he talking about? He's talking about the things that God said in Deuteronomy. Now make sure your barns and your vats are full and make sure your animals are safe. I'll make sure uh, that, you're, uh, that your enemies, you're protected from your enemies and I'll make sure I'll take sickness from your midst. I'll put none of these diseases on you. These are the promises that are yes and amen in Christ. Christ is perfectly righteous and the most powerful two-word phrase in the New Testament is in him. If you are born again, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, if you are, have, have, uh, are a convert, whatever word you want to use, you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, it is only by virtue of being in him that you are qualified for all of these promises. It is never your righteousness that qualifies you. It is only the finished work of Christ and you being in him. So that puts us in a position to receive all these good things. Now, that still makes it tough when we come up against a struggle, when it's like, man, for 20 years I've been fighting this battle. You say God wants my vats full, my, my, my barns full, he wants to provide for me abundantly, and yet I can't seem to get out of debt. Well, there might be easy answers that somebody else could see. Maybe, maybe uh, share your specifics with somebody that you trust. Uh, maybe it's a physical battle you've been fighting. Why can't I get completely free of a, a certain ailment, a certain disease, a chronic condition? I don't know. Uh, and people, the, um, unfortunately, we live in an era, and we have for years, where there are people who are so dead set against the gifts, dead set against miracles, dead set against uh, healing, that they want to almost fight for their right to be sick. I understand people, I, I, and, I, and I respect people who don't share 100% my view on healing, but I've never been able to understand the people who don't want to believe in it. You understand? There are people who are, who are just, it's almost like it's a repulsive idea. Why wouldn't you at least, would you, would you at least admit to me that if it were true, that would be great? Because it is. Wait, wait a second. God really wants me well, and he's already paid the price for that? He's already done the work for that? That's good news if it's true. I believe it is true, don't you? Uh, this, the, the stripes on Jesus' back, number one, Leaving aside the stripes for a second, everything I just said is true. If we are in him, if he has paid the price, if we are in him, and that means all the promises of God are yes and amen, one of those promises that's reiterated again and again and again is healing. 
But almost as if to drive the point home, to spell it out for us, Jesus didn't just bleed and die. He took those stripes on his back. Who was uh, sharing that with me? And and you'd ask me if if I'd heard this, uh, and I did. I'd heard it years ago. Normally, a person who was going to be crucified did not receive the flogging that Jesus did. He's, uh, yeah, talking about that, because that was often fatal. If you were going to get the full uh, the full measure of those stripes, uh, often people died from that. And so if they were sentenced to death, whether by stoning or crucifixion, they didn't get whipped first. Jesus took that beating. Why? Because Isaiah tells us, by his stripes, you were healed. Those stripes on his back were specifically to purchase your healing. So this is all good news. So that means everybody gets healed. No, it doesn't because as every person who wants to fight against this doctrine for whatever reason, they know, and uh, you can turn there if you want, but just real quickly in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, I think it's 420. Erastus is Paul signing off saying, Erastus stay, or, or explain where everybody is. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. See, obviously, even the Apostle Paul who did healings didn't heal everybody. Obviously, if it was God's will to heal everybody, Paul would never have left Trophimus sick in Miletus. That's the only thing it tells us. So number one is this. Remember this statement? Don't throw away a hundred things you know because of one thing you don't know. And there's a lot we don't know about this verse. What do we know is that when Paul left Miletus, Trophimus was there and he was sick. It doesn't say why. It doesn't say he prayed for him and it didn't work. It didn't say that Trophimus is still sick. It just says he was sick when he left. Don't read too much into that. Because there's nothing in there that counters the promise. This isn't a, this isn't a doctrinal statement. It doesn't say at the, at the leading of God, uh, God decided not to heal Trophimus. It doesn't say any of that. Just says he left him there. What does it say about sick? What, what does it say about what we're supposed to believe? I mean, you read it right through the letters, right through the Gospels. Jesus never, never, ever told anybody no. What does James say? Uh, call anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and it will save the sick. Well, sometimes, if God wills, no, it will. This is our expectation. So we know this. I'm nailing some things down. Now I want to look at four healing miracles in the Gospels. And I'm, there's three that are, you know, what's kind of one of these things is not like the other. Remember that song from Sesame Street? And we're going to start with, uh, where are we starting? Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Now a leper Now a leper came to him imploring him kneeling down to him and saying saying to him if you are willing you can make me clean then Jesus moved with compassion stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him I am willing be cleansed as soon as he had spoken immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed and he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him see that you say nothing to anyone But go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. So here's a man who came 
kneeling down and imploring him for healing. Jesus healed him, but he said, don't tell anybody. Now, I'm not saying there's not more than one reason for this. I've heard several explanations for why Jesus would ever tell somebody, and we're going to look at two more here in just a second, why he would tell people not to tell anybody. It's a mysterious thing to say since because we, we see clearly when he would be ministering to the multitudes that he would heal all their sick. So it wasn't a big secret that Jesus was healing. Uh, you might pull from this passage that, well, the reason he told them that was it made things too crowded. It meant people crowded and he couldn't go into the city anymore. You know, the multitudes followed him everywhere anyway. I really don't see that as the thing. Others, others say it was, uh, well, it's reverse psychology. He told them not to tell, so it would make them want to tell even more. I really just reject that because it's silly. Uh, some say, and I, and I give a little more credence to this, don't go telling anybody because the people you tell it to uh, might talk you out of it. How many of you have ever known anybody or experienced yourself? You know you experienced the healing, and then you lost the healing because you started doubting, you started thinking about it too hard. Uh, yeah, that. I've seen this happen. You say, well, that really didn't happen. Let me tell you what really happened. You know, it was a spontaneous remission or something like that. Anyway, uh, remember that, and then we'll turn to Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 31. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphatha. <laughs> that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. And he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more widely he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Here's another example of somebody that was brought to Jesus. They begged him to physically touch this man and heal him. And again, he healed them. And again, he told them, don't tell anyone. Now we'll look at Luke chapter 8. Beginning in verse 40. So it was... When Jesus returned, that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman, having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him, uh, when all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her daughter, Be of good cheer, your faith has made you well. Before I continue here, uh, uh, another account uh, of this in the Bible tells us that she said to herself, If I can only touch the hem of this garment, I will be healed. And so that's why Jesus said, your faith has made you well. She had made up this determination. But again, 
in the physical presence of Jesus. Now, where, where is he on his way to? He's on his way to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. Why? Because he's been begged to come to his house. While he was still speaking, verse 49, someone came to the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So here we have three stories, three different individuals, three healings, where in every case, Jesus was begged for his physical presence, for a physical touch, for a healing. And in all three cases, Jesus accomplishes the healing. And in all three cases, he says, don't tell anybody about this. Just keep that in mind while we look at this last story, last account in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now, hang on a second. His servant is sick. Jesus had healed uh, Jairus' daughter there in Israel, raised her from the dead. Now, he told Jairus, Don't be afraid, only believe. Now, could he have not said, Here's a man who could have broken down? But he didn't. He trusted me. And his little girl was raised from the dead. But he didn't do that. He said, don't tell anybody about this. Now he says to the centurion. Not to the centurion. The centurion says, you don't even need to come to my house. I understand authority. Because I'm a man under authority. And I'm a man with, in authority over other people. All you got to do is say the word. And I know, my, I know it's going to happen. You speak it and my servant will be healed. And Jesus stops his posse, his retinue, and says, I have not seen faith like this even in Israel. And, and this centurion was a Gentile. I think it was Cornelius. I can't prove it, but I think it was. I think it's the same uh, centurion uh, that, uh, you know, went to, that Peter went to his house and led his uh, whole household into salvation. Anyway, he says, uh, and I say to you, verse 11, not, I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed. 
so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. I call this message the faith Jesus is looking for because this is, I just am so struck by how Jesus got everybody's attention on this guy's faith. There was something obviously beautiful and miraculous wherever Jesus went. Whether we get an account like we do uh, many, many times in all the Gospels about individual healing. Sometimes it gives us their name. Sometimes it just gives us their condition. It gives us the events that lead up to the healing, the manner of the healing. Uh, in, in, in one, we see they're healed as they want, went. In another, it was a two-stage process with the guy he, uh, healing. You know, he, his, he was blind and he got healed so he could see you know, fuzzy representations of people. And then he had to, uh, another prayer and, and his eyes were fully restored. Uh, but when we get some of these side details, like, again, these three miracles that he did, because why? It tells us he was moved with compassion. Was their faith where it should have been? Absolutely not. But they did have enough faith to turn to him, to believe he could, but they needed to have his physical presence right there in the room with them. They needed a physical touch. Jesus did it. But he said, don't tell anybody about this. I am convinced that for what, what, whatever other reasons he didn't want them telling people about it, I think I'm convinced that the main reason is this is not the kind of faith I want people emulating. They're going to know I'm the healer. Word's going to get out. I'm doing it everywhere I go. I don't do it in secret. I just don't want people to be trained to need my physical presence because what's important is receiving my word. And so when this Gentile centurion says, Lord, my servant is sick, and Jesus says, I'll come heal him. He said, you don't need to do that. I see, I recognize authority when I see it. I know about your power. All you've got to do is speak the word, and my servant will be healed. Jesus says, see this? This is the kind of faith I'm looking for. I've not encountered this kind of faith anywhere, even in Jerusalem. And I'm telling you that there are Jews who go by the name Jews because they're Abraham's descendants, but because they don't understand what faith is, they don't understand who I am, and they're going to be cast into outer darkness. But there's going to be Gentiles like this centurion who are going to come from all over the world who are going to be seated in the kingdom with me. And the servant was healed. What's the challenge to us? The challenge to us is to take Jesus at his word. The question for us is, is there a word for us that says healing belongs to us? That's where we started tonight. There's several. You know, when God identifies himself, I am the Lord that heals thee. When he says, the righteous, you, you, if you're righteous, you're right, you hold up your end of the covenant, I will take sickness from your midst, all sickness, it says, from your midst, I'll put none of these diseases on you. Well, then we start thinking, well, have, have I held up my end of the covenant? No, Jesus held up our end of the covenant. That's the whole point of the New Testament and the cross. Jesus did what we absolutely could not do. He held up. When you look at the covenant, even going back to Abraham, it was always a covenant between God and himself. God is in perfect covenant. God the Father is in perfect covenant with God the Son, and you and I are in him. We are in the sun, so our end has been held up. He doesn't look at us and say, yeah, you're a little more righteous than you were yesterday, so I'm going to give you a little more healing. He sees us as clothed with the very righteousness of Christ, and that means we are perfectly qualified, yes, entitled to every promise, and that includes healing. So, having said that, 
what we're going to do, like we did Wednesday, is I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive the healing that was purchased with the stripes of Jesus. You have to remember, when we go to God with a physical need, we are not trying to pry more miraculous power out of his hand. We're not pulling healing down from heaven. The work of your healing and my healing was done 2,000 years ago with those stripes on his back and his blood shed at the cross. It's done. Well, then why ain't I healed? Because you haven't received it yet. Because I haven't received it yet. Have we really believed? Now again, are there, can we, is it okay to scratch our heads sometimes and wonder why we didn't get it, why so-and-so didn't get it? Just don't get hung up on it. Don't give up. Keep speaking these things. So again, I'm not going to offer to lay hands on you today. I'm never opposed to doing that. And I don't want you to get under a guilt trip. Oh, I shouldn't have got, I had hands laid on me. That means I'm weak in faith. I'm just saying, I think what Jesus is calling us to, remember, uh, what did this have to do with the airplane crash? What I'm trying to get us is this. When you detect something wrong with your body, maybe you wake up. And you've got a swollen throat or a, or a, a scratchy throat or, or you're a stuffy nose and you think, uh-oh, this always means I'm getting a cold. Or every time this happens, it turns into a full-blown sinus infection. I want, and so you think, well, I'm going to load up on Sudafed. I'm going to make a doctor's appointment. I'm going to get this. And yes, I'll throw a little prayer in there too. I think what Christ is calling us to is... Our first reaction is, no, I don't receive this. I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. God says, I'll remove all sickness from your midst. This includes that. I'm not receiving this cold. I command it to leave my body in Jesus' name. That should be our instinctive reaction every time sickness touches our body, whether it's a cold or cancer. I'm not anti-doctor. I'm not anti-medicine. I just don't like the idea of, okay, I've seen the doctor, I've had the radiation, I've had the chemo, I've done this, I've changed my diet, and I guess the rest is up to God. You see the problem there? You're treating God like a supplement. It's all God. So, I'm going I'm to make two invitations here, and praise and worship team, you can be coming on up here. This isn't all about healing. This message has been, all right? But you need to understand, man. It, wow, if you've been in this church for six months, you know that, that we, are, we are about preaching the whole counsel of God. That's why we're going through the whole Bible book by book. But we interrupted this series, I believe, today for a very specific reason. It might be you. But I understand. The whole Bible isn't just healing. The whole Bible isn't just provision. The Bible's salvation. The Bible's righteousness. The Bible's holiness. The Bible is service. But it's all part of a whole. And what I want you to see now, since this message has been about healing, is just like protection, just like provision, just like restoration, deliverance, all these things are promised to the believer. They are part of your heritage if you have trusted Christ for your salvation. So I'm going to ask you right now, have you made that decision? Stand up with me. Have you trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation? Have you ever come to the place in your life that it describes in Romans where you say, you know what? I am not on my own a righteous person. I can't be. I see that, that God has declared that. I've always thought myself a pretty good guy, pretty good gal. Uh, I don't really see anything wrong with me, especially compared to the uh, other losers in this world. But according to the Bible, if I'm not perfect, I've fallen short of God's glory. 
There is no getting around it. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All like sheep have gone astray. There is none righteous. No, not one. So the first concern, our first concern is not, can I get healed of my cold or can I get healed of my cancer? The first concern is, and do I belong to Jesus? Have I been saved? Saved from what? Saved from a lot, but frankly saved from hell. When Jesus talked about uh, outer darkness, wailing, gnashing of teeth, he's describing something pretty horrible, and that's an eternity cast out from the presence of God. Do you believe in a literal lake of fire, flames that burn you physically forever? I don't know. All I know is that whatever Jesus is describing is too horrible to be described in any other terms. I promise you, if you, if you wind up in eternity separated from God, you are never going to think, oh well, at least it's not literal flames. This ain't so bad. Just like you're never going to get to heaven and think, well, this is better than hell, but it's not as good as I thought it was going to be. Heaven is better than you can possibly imagine, and hell is worse than you can possibly imagine. Jesus talked about these things. But it's not just heaven and hell. You were created for a purpose in this life. You were created for Him. And without Him, no matter how much you enjoy your life or how much you enjoy certain seasons of your life, you will never be fulfilled. You will never fulfill your purpose until you consciously, actively submit your life to the very author of life. So I'm going to ask you this first, because we're going to make a confession, but the only people this confession really applies to are people who have trusted Jesus Christ for their salvation. So I'm going to give the opportunity right now to give your life to Christ, to invite Christ into your life, to make him your Lord and to receive him as Savior. If you would like to do that, I'm going to pray a a quick prayer. And I'm going to ask you just to come up here, right in front of everybody, just like most of us in this room have done at one time or another, and just to, just to publicly say, you know what, I'm in. I want to join the family. I need Jesus. And I'm going to lead you in a short prayer, and you can go back to your seat and join us in this confession, because I want as many people as possible to receive the benefits of, of, the, of the common confession we're going to do together. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the sure word of salvation that you've given us. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody in here today who does not know you as Father, Lord, and Savior, that you would convict them of their need for that right now. That you would grant them the wisdom to recognize who they are without you. The humility to reach out and acknowledge that need the boldness to come and receive the free gift of eternal life now in Jesus name. God bless you as you come. Just come up here and let me pray with you. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.